This is episode 148 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Tamala Close. She is the founder of SLP Private Practice in Color. She is a Dallas, Texas native who received her undergraduate degree in CSD from the University of Houston and a graduate degree from the illustrious Southern University A&M speech-language pathology program. Upon graduation, she moved to Tallahassee, Florida, where she worked at a skilled nursing facility, and it was at the end of her sniff that she decided to go PRN to launch her own private practice. She then formed her private practice, Close to Perfection Speech Therapy Services, LLC, in May 2018. It was because of the mentorship of two African-American SLP private practice owners' willingness to disseminate their knowledge that gave her the idea to found SLP Private Practice in Color Facebook group to provide a safe space for resources, networking, and mentorship for clinicians of color who decided to step out on faith and form their own practice. She has recently relocated back to Dallas, Texas, formed Close to Perfection Therapy Services, PLLC, and she's contracted with charter with a charter locally. She urges us all to utilize this platform and be a stepping stone and constant resource for each other. She believes there is undoubtedly enough space for us all to grow and flourish as independent contractors and private practice owners. Let's grow together. And thank you, Tamala, for having this conversation with us, which she coined the Cultural Humility Series, which I just love that. So uh, thank you, Tamala. Your work is, is, you're doing wonderful, wonderful work. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello, Tamala. Hello, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm so glad that I got the invitation. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, I have heard that you are just doing wonderful things in the world. So I, I knew we had to get you on. And yes, yes we are trying. We are trying. <laughs> so tell the people Sorry. a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Tamala Close, and I am uh, a Texan, first first and foremost. (laughs) I went to um, the University of Houston uh, for my undergrad and then Southern University for my graduate degree. Um, Following graduating, I moved to Tallahassee, Florida, where I became um, the skilled nurse, which was got hired on at a skilled nursing facility and was the resident speech language pathologist for two to three years. And then I dropped down to PRN and I was um, staffed at several uh, skilled nursing facilities and uh, outpatient rehabs around the Tallahassee area. And in that time, I started my own private practice. It kind of shifted to doing more um, pediatric on the pediatric side but I would still go at PRN because I love my older population. I love <laughs> I my still, old people. Yes, I do. <laughs> they have a special place in my heart. So I would still continue to um, uh, go back and forth and do PRN, you know, in my free time and uh, on some weekends or when I got off work from the schools, I would go to those different facilities and uh, continue on. And I also, since we're dysphagia related, uh, <laughs> 
I uh, received my vital STEM certification, I believe, in 2016 or 2017. I have to All go right. back and look. Uh, I think I did that one in Birmingham, Alabama, I believe. Okay. So I stayed that weekend and got my uh, vital STEM certification. So, yes, I've been using that ever since. So. Awesome. Um, that's a little bit about me, and now I'm back in my hometown of Dallas, Texas, and hoping to uh, make waves in the SLP AUD community. Awesome. <laughs> I love it, Tamala. Yes. All right, so what are we going to talk about today? I'm so excited to hear all the wonderful things you have going on. Yes, well, I guess I can tell you about the group that I started. So um, I started SLP Private Practice in Color. So it was a group of diverse um, speech language pathologists who had uh, embarked upon the journey to start their own private practices. And I kind of just started it as a safe space for us to mentor each other and uh, provide resources uh, to each other and any type of help. Um, I was actually mentored by one of my good friends, Brittany Desir, who's also an admin, and um, she helped me along the way and kind of gave me different tips, and when it was scary, she showed me how to do everything, so I'm like, everyone should have this. <laughs> so I started kind of that mentorship group um, between, you know, our peers for anyone who maybe wanted to be an independent contractor or, you know, take the leap of faith and just go full blast and start a full on fledged private practice. So, um, yes, so that's how it started. And then of course, with everything going on, um, in the world, uh, <laughs> we kind of got as a, as a group of diverse clinicians, uh, we kind of felt that it was our duty to kind of step up and try to, um, because, you know, unfortunately, minorities are 6.9% of all speech-language pathologists in the field, uh, and I believe the, the last numbers that I looked at for the ASHA constituents, I believe it was 169,000, and only 6,000 were African-American. So that's about 3%. So we felt that... Um, it was our duty to kind of raise some type of cultural awareness. Um, and a lot of times we found that, that, you know, it was just people did were, were not knowledgeable of different things, the disparities, what they were. And um, we felt that, you know, we after we hosted the town hall, I'm not sure who I was on the town hall meeting, where we kind of talked about the situation, where did we feel what was our duty as speech language pathologists? Where did we feel like ASHA fell within that? What was, you know, what was their responsibility uh, with to their African-American clinicians and to serving the African-American community? Did they have responsibility? What was it? And I know a lot of uh, people might, may have viewed the town hall. So then from the town hall, we have now the five-part cultural cultural humility series, um, and we, we named it cultural humility versus cultural competency because we felt that competency is kind of more like a badge or, you know, just another check, check mark. And we wanted to kind of change people's hearts first because we feel like if we can change, educate and uh, change an individual's heart, then everything else will follow. Oh, Tamla, I um, love that. Thank you. Yeah, so that's Thank why you. we embarked upon this journey um, too, you know, for our colleagues. And like, like I said, our first step was education because maybe, you know, people don't know A, that the disparities exist and then how the disparities actually do affect um, these disenfranchised communities. So 
That is why we embarked on this journey. So we're in part four um, this week with intersectionality. So we'll start um, this week talking about race, gender, and how uh, you navigate the workplace. But um, we've done uh, the historical context was part one. We did the health field, uh, which was part two. So we talked about the racial disparities in the health field, uh, systematic racism in the health field, and how it affected of different communities, specifically the black community. And last week we did education. So we again talked about the disparities and how systematic racism affected the disparities in education. And we kind of want to highlight those two fields, those two settings, because we felt like that's where, you know, speech language pathologists where uh, we're either typically in the health field or in some type of school type setting. Um, and so navigating the, uh, navigating the workplace as an African-American, African-American female. And we do have African-American males. I know males are unicorns in the field, but there are a few. So we did want to highlight this this week. And then the last uh, week will be the push for equity. So what is our plan to um, help solve these uh, and close the gap of these disparities? So that's kind of what we've been doing. And we, it's been, it's been, you know, we've been working really, really hard on it. And, but we, we, it's a hundred percent worth it. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback from our colleagues and we're so excited. Everyone is so inviting and everyone's so willing to learn. And we're, you know, we're learning too. It's not just, <laughs> we're learning too some of the despair because we have experts on um, every, every uh, part. We have experts expert uh, come on to the panel and act as serve as our keynote speaker. So we're, we're also learning. Everyone is kind of in the learning process because we all have a lot to learn. Damn, well, this is fantastic. They're doing amazing work, amazing work. I know for- Thank you, we are trying. Yeah, yeah. For the, the MedSLP Collective, I, I created, you know, we called the Diversity Collaboration Committee uh-huh. and they were doing a support call Thursday evenings. And right. one of the girls came to me and was like, can we move the call because there's this other group that's doing this other webinar at the same time. And we all want oh, to be on that call awesome. too. And I was Thank like, oh, you. what's going on? And they were like, <laughs> they told me all about you. And I was like, yes, of course we can move the calls. So we moved our call to Monday night right. to accommodate your webinar. Oh, and then I was like, but so wait, much. tell me more about that. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yes. We, like I said, we've had an awesome participation, um, awesome feedback. And like I said, we're just trying to bring everyone together. Um, through education, you know, coming from a heartfelt place, uh, coming from a genuine place. So that that is our journey. And we are, you know, it's well received. So we are excited about that because we were kind of nervous, like, okay, we're going to put this out here. We're not sure how, you know, how it's going to go. But we have been overjoyed with the response that we've been getting. Yeah. Oh, Tim, I love this. I think, and that's just a common theme that has served me well is just educating people. Yes. You know, and I think, I think all of this, it's so unfortunate the way it's happened, but I think Mm -hmm. the beauty is that now so many people are willing to just let their guard down, let whatever beliefs they had down and are open to learning. And right. And, and I know, you know, for me, there's, I, I keep hearing about all these racial disparities in healthcare, and I want you to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, okay. but just, I mean, I like to think that I'm an open-minded person. And then when I heard some of this stuff, I was like, this is 
disgusting. Right, this is right, gross. Right, this right. is awful. So and a lot of people, you know, wouldn't know that it existed if it, you know, doesn't affect you. You know, yeah, how yeah. would you know? You know, yeah. because it's not anything that's really widely publicized. So when you do bring the uh, percentages up and the disparities up, everyone's like, what? I can't believe this is happening. You know, so now yeah. we've educated, we've identified it. And now, you know, people are like, okay, well, what can we do to fix it? So that's, that was the goal. Yeah. Awesome. You want to share a little bit, a little yes. bit about that? Okay. So, um, I'll specifically talk about our, um, our part two, which was systematic racism in the health field. So within, um, our health field presentation, um, there were several, um, <clears throat> disparities within the uh, African-American community. Uh, one was hypertension. So let me show you uh, some of those numbers with you guys. Um, so as far as hypertension uh, was concerned, there was a higher prevalence, um, higher prevalence of diabetes. Uh, so 37% African-Americans to so 25% white conversely. And then of course we all know um, diabetes can lead to uh, sensory neural hearing loss. And um, then of course there is a higher mortality of stroke, uh, fortunately. So, um, uh, white men, I believe it was 23.8% mortality rate for CBA and 452 for African-American. And for women, 18.3% um, were Caucasian women and 395 were African-American women. And that study, I believe, was done um, in 2014. And so, of course, with um, the higher prevalence of stroke or mortality with stroke, um, then we have a higher prevalence of dysphagia that was developing after stroke. So um, those numbers, uh, well, here's a quote. Because racial disparities have been identified in stroke incidents, severity and mortality, it is important to determine whether factors associated with increased morbidity and mortality, such as dysphagia, occur differentially among racial groups. And then there was a study conducted um, there was there were actually two studies done. One was done in California, and then one was kind of repeated in New York. And so the study that was done in New York actually um, highlighted that there were there were actual an actual racial disparity in how many African Americans um, develop dysphagia after a stroke. And let me get you those numbers. Um, and actually, within that study, they found that the highest, um, the the ethnic group that was uh, affected the most was were actually Asian Americans. But like following that number, um, there were African Americans. So let me see. Sorry, I had the number pulled up. Oh, where is it? <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, so um, 8.6 for Asian Americans and 6.4 for African Americans compared to 5.4% um, of uh, Caucasian Americans who developed dysphagia after the stroke. And then uh, also all of this ties together, um, the length of stay. So everyone knows the longer you stay in the hospital, the less um, your outcomes are. And they also found that, of course, dysphagia increases the amount, the length of stay of your hospitalization. And then also, it will also increase, you know, your out, 
decreased, you know, positive outcomes from that hospital stay. And being that African Americans developed, um, they actually had overall had a longer length of stay compared to um, Caucasian Americans. And then, of course, dysphagia um, just almost tripled that <laughs> percentage oh of yeah of how many. African Americans were, you know, their length of stay increased. Um, but of course, dysphagia uh, increases anyone's length of stay. So it just kind of compounded this disparity. So yeah. we did see that. And then, of course, there is also a cultural basis of dysphagia, you know, between, um, I guess, you know, different diets, different cultures, uh, how to. Uh, educate the family, you know, how to show them, okay, this is um, dysphagia, this is what it is, it's how it affects, you know, how it affects you because they found that food is, you know, tied so ingrained so much into the cultural <laughs> part of the African American community. So, you know, we just, we just found that change the approach to assessment and then treatment you have to be very careful um, when kind of, you know, modifying diets and things of that nature. Maybe try meatloaf versus, you know, something like that, that they're used to seeing, that we're used to seeing, but they didn't feel as though everything was kind of changing. But that's anyone, though. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants their diet modified. But um, that approach to uh, treatment, we also kind of discuss as well in that part, too. Awesome. Thank you, Tamala. Thank yes. you for whipping out all those statistics left and right. Yes, I'm sorry. I had no, them pulled my up. Goodness. <laughs> I had them pulled up. Awesome. Thank you. So so where do we go? What what can we do from here? Well, I what we kind of discussed on the call was um a the assessment. So uh make sure that we come from a no, you know, a lot of people in the African no I would say anyone that really has encountered dysphagia, a lot of people have encountered it for the first time unless they have an older relative that maybe they were a caretaker for. Um, so education, educating the patient and the patient family is um, the first step. And uh, also, you know, when we talk about cultural sensitivity trainings, you know, uh, my aunt might not, you know, have, she might have a little... <laughs> aggression about you know oh my food is being changed no 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 so you have to kind of come at it um from the eye or the uh perspective that hey you know this is something that is within the african-american community uh, a big deal <laughs> particularly in the african-american community so you want to come at the patient you know there with with i guess um knowing that you know you're getting ready to change something that's very important and so if you do have a lot of pushback don't take it personal <laughs> just continue to educate the patient on safety while we're changing and then we also noted like within treatment try different um op treatment options as far as like if again if you're modifying um diets to try to fit within something that is that they would feel you know would of course um work for them you know, so, of course, if you have someone who's not following the diet, you know, um, that probably comes from, you know, they just, they're not comfortable with it or whatever. So kind of, you know, each, each, we should be treating each person case by case anyway. Everyone is unique and we shouldn't just have a one size fit all for everyone. So uh, we should definitely come at everybody 
um, uniquely, okay, well, this didn't work for you. Maybe we could try, you know, this or, or, you know, um, if they like smoothies or, you know what I mean? So just anything that we could try to kind of modify the diet, but within, um, and be least restrictive, you know, and, and, and continue to keep their safety in mind, but also their, uh, op give them options, um, that they would be okay with. Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, Ms. Long, but <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. All right, let's. I want to switch gears a little bit here. So we've talked about healthcare disparities. What about statistics in graduate school, and how are okay. we looking on that front? So when we talk about graduate <laughs> school, <laughs> when we talk graduate school, okay. So let me pull that up. Um, the statistics in uh, graduate school are kind of the racial disparities again are astounding in that as well. So let me pull that information up for you. Okay. And we did talk about um, higher education or, you know, post-secondary education in our part three. And so let's see here. So the statistics for graduate school are as follows. Okay, in the undergraduate program, so these are actually individuals that have graduated who were of uh, racial minorities. Uh, only out in our CSD undergrad programs, 27.8% um, were individuals from racial and ethnic minority groups. And then even, you know, it gets even smaller when we talk about uh, master's level graduates, which is 17.2% of that um, group would be from a racial ethnic background. So we're not even necessarily breaking down to African-Americans. We're just talking about someone who identifies from an ethnically diverse uh, background. Then, of course, when we get into the ideology and doctoral programs, 14.8%, and then research doctoral graduates, only 15.2% were uh, from minority backgrounds. So we can see there. And of course, we kind of talked about um, like even when we did the dispatch, when I'm giving you the dispatch results, they noted within the study that there weren't a lot of studies done on um, racial disparities. So there's there aren't there isn't a lot of research out here. Um, I would I don't think it's enough adequate research out here. And so when we don't have a lot of uh, maybe minority students who are going into those research doctorates to do the research to <laughs> to come up with standard you know research back standardized assessments and things of that nature, then you know. Um, we are doing our students and our clients that we uh, service, a, 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 unfortunately, we're doing them a disservice. So um, we did on the town hall meeting, there was a call for uh, more minority SLPs to get into research, to do the research that is needed to help develop some of these maybe standardized assessments or do research into the disparities, how we can combat the disparities. There was a call for that on the town hall. So everyone's kind of been talking about that as well lately. Good, yeah. awesome. And what about, how do you think we get more, more people of color in our grad programs? Or right, how right. do you think we boost that? Well, uh, one thing that we did discuss was uh, awareness of the field. So a lot of the, uh, I found out about the field from my, uh, college roommate, um, Sarah. So she told me, <laughs> I'm like, what do you major in? Yeah. So she told me what her major was. I researched it all summer. I said, 
okay, I think this is something I would like to do. My mom was a teacher, so she was like, oh, oh yes, that's an awesome field. So that's how I wound up in the field. I had no idea of, you know, communication sciences disorders at all. So I think aware, you know, if we can promote awareness to these communities, um, you know, to bring, to hopefully have people want to major in, you know, in, in the field. And then of course we know standardized assessments have unfortunately been biased uh, as we know. So even like taking a test like the GRE to get in, which a lot of the universities are now saying they aren't weighing hev as heavily on the GRE because we know the GRE doesn't decide whether or not you'll be an awesome or competent speech language pathologist or audiologist. We know that. You know? Yeah. So they are kind of starting to say, okay, well, let's look at how much we're weighing on the GRE. Um, so I think if we can kind of um, bring awareness um, to the field, also uh, kind of look at things that may keep the these other communities out maybe you know like I said the standardized assessment who we which we know can be biased you know against certain population or certain communities and kind of way you know do a more comprehensive look at the candidates and hopefully get more graduate candidates in the program and then also providing <clears throat> a space for them to kind of be mentored throughout the program. Awesome. Because there is there is a feeling of isolation or there is a feeling of, you know, not belonging when you are kind of navigating through the program and it's, you know, it's only one person who may look like you or something like that. And, you know, you try to blend in and, and work with everyone, but, you know, there is a still kind of a sense of, you know, do I belong here? So, yeah, I think, I think those... Um, that would hopefully help, you know, close the gap on some of the disparities within yeah. our field. Yeah, definitely. So what, what are you up to now, Tamla? Now you have a private practice? Yeah, so I've moved to, again, moved to Dallas. And so um, here in Dallas, I've got on with a couple charter schools. Um, so I, I'm servicing kids here in the uh, Dallas area. Um, so I've kind of taken the summer off to really delve deep into um, the groups, the, the organization that we've started, um, trying to do the webinars, uh, trying to promote awareness. Uh, we have actually have another uh, thing in the works that's kind of similar to the town hall that we did. Uh, I, I, I'll let you in on it, but we kind of want to talk about dialect. Uh, yes, and yes. I, yeah, and so dialectal differences, not being disordered, and things of that nature. So that's something else that we kind of want to take a look at. Um, but yes, we're just delving, I'm delving deep into um, getting, putting my books to the ground and delving deep into hopefully providing more cultural sensitivity training. And then of course, school starts in August. So <laughs> I will uh, be back, you know, working with my kiddos in the schools. But as of now, our focus is trying to do as much as we can. And we, awesome. of course, we will continue on with during the school year as well. Yeah. I, I, I love your approach to all of this, Tamla. I Thank just, you. I love, like you said, boots on the ground, just educating everybody. Yes. It's, it's beautiful work. Um, yeah. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the dialectical differences. That was something for me. I did my, I did my CF in mm -hmm. the Indianapolis public schools okay. and I just took this random CF because I just needed a change. And so right, I was in right. inner city public schools and okay. they sent us to diversity training the week before it started. 
and they, you know, taught us about different dialects and they talk, they talked to us about, you know, African-American vernacular and how mm-hmm. that's different and how it's not a disorder. It's a difference. It's the dialect. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is really interesting. Like mm-hmm. I had no idea. And then, you know, as a CF, it's obviously your brain is exploding to begin with, right, but then, right. but then I'd say probably, I'd say probably 60 to 70% of my kiddos were African-American kids. And right, I was like, oh right. my gosh. And I, really leaned on that training hard because I'm like, I don't know if I would have said this was a disorder. Right, I right. You know, like, I'm glad that I was educated that this is their dialectical difference. This is not a disorder. Right. Um, and I, and I just think of little old CF Teresa there, how lost she was. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> and, and, but, but now I think, you know, how many more people are wandering through right, the world right. realizing this? Right. You know, and I think that's a huge, huge thing that, that speech pathologists and that the ASHA needs to do a better job of, of, demanding isn't the word but ensuring that we do right, have this do. this cultural humility humility as you said i love that word right, so. right. um I, I i definitely agree with you i was shocked to find that in most graduate programs this is not a course that is taught no, because we, we yeah. had a uh, in my graduate coursework we had an actual linguistics class where we talked about different dialects from different communities and how um, these dialects did not denote a disorder and how they were all unique and operated um, just as complex as standard American English and things of that nature. But then when you go to give standardized tests, <laughs> most from that African American dialect or, you know, a lot of the test questions, you're like, wait a minute, this is, you know, this would denote a, a dialectal difference, yeah. you know, so even, um, but of course you're supposed to as an SLP, you know, make your own um, judgment and I'll, you know, and, and diagnose as you see and do a comprehensive assessment. But yes, even a lot of the standardized tests are biased and will, you know, and will unfortunately have a lot of these kiddos come up as, you know, uh, with the certain grammar, with the different grammar rules and stuff in, that that work within the different dialects, they will come up as showing to have a receptive or expressive language disorder. Yeah. Um, so, and I, again, a lot of uh, at my SLP colleagues do not know this, you know, and a lot of the caseload may be, you know, individuals or students who would not be appropriate if you take the dialect into consideration. So I definitely agree with you that um, this is something that needs to be taught at every university um, to keep us from over-identifying yeah. um, individuals from these communities with these dialectal differences. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys really help to push that yes, forward yes. with with Asha. So that's that is our next. Uh, that's our next to do. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Excellent. Um, so are you, what are you guys doing with the webinar series? Are you going to keep it going? Or are you, is it recorded or what's, what's yes. the plan? Cause I'm sure okay. a lot of people so, would be, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, the webinar series is, um, recorded. So, um, you can either attend it live or you can, um, get the on demand version where you can go back and, um, watch the recording. Uh, we are, we, an- we answer our emails, we answer our messages. <laughs> so if anyone were to have a, um, question or anything of that nature, uh, feel free if you if you do get on and you have additional questions. 
all of our panel is amazing, all of our keynote speakers, and they would have no issue with, you know, answering any question. And we keep it open, we keep it where it can be uh, anonymous, or if you want your name, you know, to be shown or mentioned, we can do that as well. Um, but yes, they are, they will be recorded. And I believe next, this Thursday was part four and next Thursday is part five. And that will be the conclusion. And then after that, I kind of want to dig deep into uh, kind of promoting it, getting it out there, seeing who'd be interested. We're also in the works of hopefully getting these, um, getting our series to count for CEUs. So Beautiful. that's something that we have in the works. So you would feel, you know, you feel, of course you don't think it's a waste of time, but you know, it wouldn't hurt to get some CEUs, you know, and it's 10 hours, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it wouldn't hurt to get your CEUs while you're educating yourself and learning. So, of course, that's the purpose of CEU. So if it's something that you are interested in. So we are in the works of hopefully getting that um, to count as Asha CEUs as well. Um, but, yes, then our next, like I said, our next goal is to tackle and talk about dialect. So Awesome. Um, yes. Uh, so. Where where can you find the webinar series? What's the um, we actually have a website, um SLPprivatepic.com. Right. And uh, you can log on there. Uh, we we highlight our keynote speaker every every week. Um the handouts, we have we provide handouts for the webinar series so you can take notes and you know have it for your own documentation and your own reference where you can go back and you know look at it if you missed a part or whatever. And again, it will be recorded. So you would always go back and watch it again. Uh, but yes, all of that is on our new uh, found website, our newest, newly established website, slpprivatepic.com. Awesome. Thank you, Tamala. Anything else yeah. you want to share with the people? Um, I just, again, want to um, thank you for allowing me yeah. to come on. Um, we are, again, so overly ecstatic and excited that everyone is um, giving us, providing us with awesome feedback, positive feedback. It gives us, you know, the drive and the determination that keeps us going. And, okay, well, you know, we are making a difference, and uh, we want to keep pressing forward. And our goal, again, is to unite everybody and bring everyone together towards the common goal, which is for us to all, you know, act as colleagues in a loving way and then also provide services for the, our communities as well. In the we same almost manner. had me in tears here, Tamala. Tamala oh, for president, and everybody. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, please. No, no, <laughs> oh no. my God. I, I love everything you said. You're a, you're a you. wonderful human being, Tamala. Thank so. you. Thank you. You as well. Doing I'm just beautiful work. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening.